We begin, though, with a thought. You see, when some people pass away, we long for them to come back from the other side to check in. But other people, we hope we never hear from again. Spooked. My story begins in the spring of 1970 with our daily trek to school. Physical punishment was the norm in school if you didn't get the right answer. So there were difficult, there were hard days. So on the way home, we would kind of vent our frustration or have a laugh by teasing this goat that was tethered to a post in the field. We would stop and throw little pebbles at the goat and laugh at the goat jumping up and down and going crazy. Until one day, oh horror of horrors, the rope snapped. We never expected that. And before we knew it, the goat was bounding across the field for his revenge. We took off like the wind, screaming and yelling and crying. And we knew we were far from home. We were a good mile from home. So we had no alternative to run into the yard of our great aunt Rose. She lived in a little cottage and you didn't bother Rose unless it was really necessary because she didn't like children. But that day, the choice was getting mauled by the goat or the shelter of Aunt Rose's cottage. And we were terribly afraid of her. And she was my father's reclusive aunt, and she was like the Wicked Witch of Fairy Tale. Very thin, very tall, wore long black clothes, grey hair tied severely back in a bun, a very grim-looking woman. But she comes out when she hears the racket with her blackthorn stick, which she always carried, and she shooed the goat away and she gave it a few whacks. So the goat took off. And then she turned to us and she said, "Um, I think you'd better come in for some tea. And I remember my brothers and I exchanging very nervous glances because we'd never been in her little cottage before, but we had no choice. So we followed her in to this gloomy little uh, den, a big hearth fire burning, crackling, ticking clock. I remember those sounds because she didn't speak at all to us. She went about making the tea and we sat down at the table and we were still very panicked and nervous and our faces wet with tears. It smelled of turf smoke. She had a, what we called a crook over the fire, which held the kettle, would the hearth fire flames and boiled the kettle. We were dying to escape, and um, when the tea was finished, we ran all the way home. That was an incident that, for me, when I look back, can be linked to what happened later on in that year. In the summer of 1970, Aunt Rose fell ill and my mother took her in 
to our home to look after her because she couldn't cope on her own. She was a spinster. She didn't marry, she didn't have children. So people like that were ignored by the community. So they lived very lonely lives. And when you're on your own for so, so long, you don't know how to be around other people. And the saddest part, however, is that, that no one in the community, when I look back, thought to go and visit her and kind of make her part of something bigger. If I could turn back the clock, I'd be, I would be definitely more compassionate and understanding. If I have any regrets, it would be that, that I didn't connect with, with great Aunt Rose. But unfortunately, Aunt Rose kept getting worse. She died soon after. So, end of October, a few weeks after she passed on, it was a very stormy night. My little brother John got out of, out of his bed, went to our parents' bedroom and woke up my mother and said, I can't sleep, Mummy, because someone is tapping under my bed. My mother said, John, it's the wind. It's a very bad night to go back to bed. But half an hour later, he was up again with the same story to my mother. I remember waking up, seeing the light on in the kitchen and being an inquisitive little girl, I got out of bed and went down to see what was going on. And we heard this tapping sound, very gentle tapping right under John's bed. It was like this. I'll do it on this table. The next day, naturally, logical explanations were sought. My father took up the flooring, checked the water pipes, took the bed apart. My parents said, it's the bed, there's something wrong with the bed. That'll be all right. Well, he, he took off the mattress, checked the springs, and but the next night... When it happened again, we had to accept that this was something sinister. Everybody was up. The next day, my mother did the only thing she could do. She called in the parish priest. He came, knelt down in the afflicted room, and told us that it was the spirit of Great Aunt Rose, that she was having difficulty on the other side, and she needed our prayers for release. When a priest said something in those days, you believed it, you know. So we started to pray that, that day, and we prayed a lot. Knee, I remember my knees cold on the stone floor. Dear God, free us from this. Let, let Andrews be at peace. Eternal rest grant unto her, O Lord. It's one that I remember saying over and over and over again. It was the least we could do was to pray for her soul. So it was an act of compassion on our part as children and my parents. We were to pray every 
Every day we were to say as many rosaries as we could, which we did. I was very fervent in her prayers. We wanted to get her out of purgatory as soon as possible. The more praying that was done, the sooner she would be released. And for about a week, it was fine. We had solved the problem. Our prayers were obviously being heard, or so we thought. Until John was up again in the middle of the night. This time it wasn't gentle tapping. It was loud knocking. It was as if more and more prayers were needed. She wasn't satisfied that we were saying enough. The knocking was very loud. It moved out from under the bed and started knocking different points in the floor. After that, it progressed to banging on the walls off that bedroom. And I remember when my when we would have visitors in the um, adjacent room, we would have to turn the volume of the television up really high because the banging was like someone was hammering, hammering wood. And my mother would have to say, we've got repairmen in. More priests came to listen to it. A mass, several masses actually were said in the room. I remember particularly this because it really was very frightening. The knocking stopped. It started to scratch. We heard the rasp of fingernails being dragged slowly along the underside of the mattress. It scratched under the table in the room, under the chairs. And I remember this night. I remember lying with the blankets pulled right up under my eyes, looking over at my two brothers, praying and hoping it wouldn't come into this room. I was just paralyzed with fear, completely paralyzed. And then, of a sudden, the mattress was tipped straight up on its vertical and the two boys were flung out on the floor. And we dashed screaming and yelling from that room. So a turning point had been reached. You have to experience this in order to believe in it. And after that, sleep was impossible because you thought something was going to happen. My mother was at the point of a nervous breakdown. And that is when it was decided to call in the exorcist. The morning of the exorcist visit is very vividly etched in my memory. I remember that November morning in very stark contrast, monochrome, a foggy morning, and we're all waiting for the exorcist and his assistant. And then suddenly I see them in the lane. Two dark figures advancing down the lane and my mother goes out to greet them. He was a tall, lean man 
with grey hair swept back and his look made all the more mysterious because he was wearing a cassock, a long black cloak and he spoke very softly and gently and there was a great air of calm about him and when he met us children he blessed each of us in turn by making the sign of cross the cross on our foreheads and saying god bless you my child exorcists they are conduits they're people who have subverted their egos to such a degree that the spiritual is very much alive in their lives and i believe that if we accept that there are forces of evil in the world, then that force of evil must be met with an equal vigorous application of good. So the exorcist is is a rare uh, human being. Um, Very special men do this work. What happened in that room that day? Well, the exorcist would read from the Rituale Romanum, which is the Roman rite, uh, Litanies of the Sea, Lord's Prayer, 54th Psalm, Salve Regina, Holy Queen. This took several hours in our case. There was a palpable feeling in the air that morning. The door to the afflicted room stood open, and we were beckoned into it by these two. And we all knelt down and we said a last prayer with them. And they got up and shook hands with my parents and said, that was it, it's over, and it was. We never talked about it. It was as if, if you talked about it, something might come back. Is it, is it too much to assume that perhaps being giving and kind in this life assures us of peace and uh, rest in the next? Big thanks to Krista McKenna for sharing your story at The Snap. If you want to hear more about Christina's childhood in Ireland, please check out her book, My Mother Wore a Yellow Dress. We'll have more on our website, spookpodcast.org. That original score was by Leon Morimoto. It was produced by Anna Sussman.